Welcome to The Crunch with Crib Creative. I'm Jess, and each week we're going to be diving into the stories of some of Perth's best agents and business people, how they got where they are, and what they learned along the way. Welcome to a special edition of The Crunch, recorded live at RE Bar Camp 2018. This episode features an inspirational Nicole Cooper talking about overcoming adversity in life. Hello, everyone. How are we? We're good? Awesome. Thank you, David, James, for your magnificent presentation. It's the first time I've... Is that... No, please, continue. It's the first time I've heard David speak, so uh, what a pleasure. I am here to talk to you today, according to the agenda, on the topic of resilience. And so I will do that. And I want to flag up front that as part of this discussion, there will be a mention of cancer and a cancer battle. And it's important that I mention that because for some people that can be very much an emotional trigger. And just, just, just giving everyone a, a moment. Um, if I had walked into a session <coughs> and not been warned that I was going to sit down and, and endure part of a story about cancer sort of six months ago or 12 months ago when I first learnt that I had my own story, I would have found that quite confronting. So I want to share with you up front there will be a bit of cancer talk, but that's not actually what the talk is about. It's important to the story, but it's not actually what the talk is about. I do need to flag up front too that there'll also be a talk about uh, reference to uh, being a spy. Because uh, that's actually part of the story too. So that's a little bit secret, a little bit more exciting and may lure you to stay. So I want to talk to you today about resilience and the way that we've structured uh, the session and the way that I've chatted to the crib creative team and indeed with Peter about what I can do to assist you guys is basically to give you a little bit of a what does this lady actually know about resilience anyway upfront chat this morning. But this afternoon I want to create some space for us to actually have a discussion about resilience in real estate, in your work, in what you're facing at the moment. I train for a living, we run a training organisation, my specialty is very much in business, I've taught some people in this room, I lecture in the Diploma of Property and I look very much at how do we get into the business of doing real estate effectively. And I'm not talking about the kind of stuff that David James spoke about this morning, which to be honest, I really know a lot about and is not my specialty area. I'm not out prospecting. I've never sold a, a piece of real estate in my life. But I have ran a lot of businesses. I've got an MBA and I've taught a lot of people how to apply those business concepts to the world of real estate to really prosper. Daniel Gonzalez, my student, just FYI, just FYI. <laughs> Our diploma, just FYI. Had to throw it out there. Okay, so. In the broader context of the story, that's where we're getting to. But let's divert a little bit for a moment to talk about what's happened for me over the last 12 months. I was feeling pretty tired, working hard, achieving a lot, had an eight-month-old baby, pretty busy, running a business over here in Western Australia in real estate training, living in Melbourne, so I married a Melbourne boy. <laughs> Felt a little bit tired. So I went to my GP and I said, I feel a little bit tired. 
my GP, my personal GP wasn't available at the time, so I saw someone else who was available on the day. And she said, well, Nicole, don't you think you maybe need to adjust your expectations as to what someone with an eight-month-old baby might be able to achieve in their week, their working week? Maybe you're just working a little bit too hard, pushing a little bit too hard. Just go home and rest, darling. You'll be fine. And I thought, I don't really like that answer. I'm going to get another opinion. I waited till my GP came back and he said, yeah, no, the things you're describing are not really great. You're feeling really tired. You've lost a little bit of weight. I'm not really sure about that. I'm willing to stand behind you going out and investigating that. So he did. So he sent me off for an ultrasound to start off with. We were looking for gallstones. I don't know if anyone's ever had gallstones. They can be pretty painful, pretty nasty, and can contribute to some of those kind of symptoms. I lay there on the table and this lady, the, you know, the squirty, the ultrasound I was quite familiar with, having had a baby, and she was really chatty and really chatty and really chatty, and all of a sudden she got very quiet. And at the time I thought, that's a bit weird. I wonder what's going on there. No, it's, it's fine. I'll put it out of my mind. It's fine. So then I got a referral to a gastroenterologist because there are a couple of lesions in my liver that they picked up as part of this scan, part of this ultrasound. And when I went to see that gastroenterologist, she said, look, Nicole, here's the thing. A lot of people in your age group tend to get these kind of benign tumours in their liver, and that's because young ladies who've been on birth control for a long period of time in their life, working-type females like me, have put off having kids for a long time, have taken a lot of these pills, and that stuff tends to actually gather in your liver, and that's the reality of, you know, where you're at in life. So don't be alarmed. We'll send you off for an MRI. We'll rule them benign, and you can get on with life. So I went to that MRI, came home, and I got a phone call to say, I need you to come back in to see me. I need you to bring your husband. I need you to leave your baby at home, please. So at that point, I wasn't feeling great. Still managed to get myself together and drive there. And got there and was told, what you've got is cancer in your liver. Now, we can tell from looking at them that these tumours are advanced tumours, aggressive tumours, but they're also secondary metastasized tumours. So the source of your cancer is either in your bowel or in your breast, but the fact that it's here in your liver means that it's stage four. So you need to go see an oncologist rather quickly, i.e. tomorrow. So I did that, feeling quite overwhelmed, as you can imagine. And I went to go see the oncologist and she sat me down and she said, in a really haphazard way, which was quite a surprise for me because you would think that oncologists were quite kind of savvy in delivering news around cancer, but this one wasn't. And she kind of did a couple of roundabout conversations where she talked about liver surgeons and whether I had one, then delivered the news that the liver was actually inoperable. And there's nothing we could do for the liver, but it would be good to have a liver surgeon because then you'd get the second opinion just to make sure you know that I'm not fibbing on that. And at that point, we didn't really need to have that discussion. And then after about 20 minutes of chat, she delivered the news that on a palliative chemotherapy regimen, people with my kind of cancer had about two to three years to live. So I got that news in March last year. Now, that's pretty crazy news for someone who was 32 years old at the time, eight-month-old baby, running our own company here, I'd just done an MBA, it taken me freaking six years to get this thing done. <laughs> I had two undergrad degrees, I'm in the peak, the prime of my life, 
I've married someone who, you know, has gone on to achieve great things and he's in the peak and the prime of his life. And we're both looking at like having our first baby and about to move into like a real house in Melbourne because we're in that market that um, was spoken about by a DJ there about like it's really tough to buy in Melbourne, but we've just gotten onto the property ladder properly. It's all so exciting. And now I'm going to die in two years. So I sat on that for a couple of weeks. No, a couple of days, sorry. And then I thought, I need another opinion on this. I can't just sign up for palliative chemo and that's the end of me. I need to push the boundaries on this. And maybe that had kind of always been my instinct to do that. So I went and sought a second opinion. And he was a liver surgeon and he said, Look, the chances aren't great, Nicole, I'll be honest. But there is a 1% chance that we could make this work. And we would do that by using a particularly aggressive chemotherapy that is going to knock you for six. You are going to really not be able to function for a certain period of time here. We're going to push, we're going to push, and we're going to try to use the chemo to shrink the tumours to eventually then put us in a position where we're operable and the surgery is the life-saving opportunity do you want to play that game? And I said, yes, I absolutely want to play that game. The 1% I can work with. So he said, go see this oncologist, my very good friend. So I went to meet what we all describe in my family as the Sri Lankan George Clooney. <laughs> He's delicious. Which is great, because I have to see him on a fortnightly basis. You've got to find the perks in everything, right? So we go to see him, and he is so very optimistic and warm and glowing and full of hope for me and my set of circumstances, despite the fact that really my set of circumstances were really sending us down a path that was not going to be great. He prescribed me that really dicey, hard, disgusting regimen of chemotherapy. And he also prescribed exercise. And this is something I've been harping on about for the last couple of weeks now <laughs> and was featured Last week on the front page of The Age, Sydney Morning Herald, I was on the ABC News breakfast couch, I was here on TV on Channel 7 and Channel 9, Channel 10, talking about exercise and the, the role of exercise in fighting cancer. And so he sat me down and said, you're going to have this chemo and you're going to be exercising in the gym. And I'm not talking about a walk around the park, I'm talking about getting in and breaking your squat record in the gym. That's what I want you to be doing. And I, at, the point of at that point of time, I know, right, had no idea about cancer, really. Like, we had no experience of cancer. We don't have a, a history of cancer in my family. There's no sort of genetic predisposition to cancer. None of my friends or family had had cancer. I was in this wonderful position where I was blissfully in denial about what I was actually about to face and said, sure, I can exercise, okay, fine, yep, no, I'll get on board that. Then I started the chemo. And the chemo is the toughest, toughest, I cannot even give you the words as to how tough the chemotherapy is. How horrible you feel, how revolting it is, how lethargic you are. But it was part of my prescription and part of my therapy to go exercise, so I did. And the results were amazing. So within 12 rounds, within six rounds of chemotherapy, 12 weeks, we did another scan and showed that my cancer had essentially turned off, that the chemotherapy was killing it and the exercise was killing it. At the 12 round mark, so six months later, we decided to go in and to do the liver surgery. So I had 25 centimetres of bowel removed 
and two segments of liver. I have a cut from here to here, pretty much as, as long as the, the bones will allow to take all of that disease out and allow me to function again without it. And then I went through waking up in intensive care and spending a week in hospital and learning to walk again and doing all of those things because they literally kind of tear you apart and that's what you have to do to put yourself back together again. And I was upbeat and excited and motivated and incredibly excited for the fact that, you know, this was my opportunity and I had this opportunity to have life-saving surgery. And went in after all of that, after I'd recovered, ready to take on another 12 rounds of chemo again, to sit down and be told the scans that we did to prep you for your next round to give us a new baseline now of where you sit have shown that the cancer is in your lung and it's still alive there. So that was a bit of... All right, talk about taking another smackdown. But that was fine, because then we can do lung surgery. So I did 12, so six more rounds of chemo and then signed myself up for a lung resection. So that was another round of uh, hospital stays, another cut from here to here. I love my scars. Um, and we took out a chunk of my lung. We had to break a rib to do it. I don't know if anyone's ever broken a rib. Anyone? It's just the most painful thing ever. I thought this was bad, but this was so bad. You can't move, you can't, it's just horrendous. And it was very, very tough to recover from that. But I did it, because that's what we needed to do. Now that we've taken it out, I'm actually technically cancer-free and in remission. And that... Yeah. Thanks, guys. So, I mean, one was something that I was told that I would never have or maybe had a 1% chance of having. Um, but two is, uh, I guess, something that, that I do have but could be taken away from me at any point. Um, because you never do know with cancer when it's going to come back and what it's going to do and how it's going to change. So there are a lot of things that kind of contributed to my ability to just get on with it and sort myself out and keep on going. And in the time that I've had to kind of reflect over the last few months in particular, being cancer-free, I've kind of thought about the role that people around me have played in inspiring me and motivating me and keeping me going. And one of the things that I'm struck by on a regular basis is people who come and talk to me about how inspiring they think my story is, how much I've motivated them to make changes in their own life, and what me sharing my story has done for everyone else. And it was instinctual for me to share my story. I'm on Instagram, I post daily, all the scars, all the stuff, all the, you know, the bloated steroid photos from my chemotherapy, the whole lot. I share the whole journey in a really open way because it's just the life that I'm living. It's just the reality of my day but it affects, cancer will affect one in two Australians in their lifetime. So, you know, let's, it's like half the room will have cancer, let alone the people who then have to support the people who have the cancer, and it does take an army. But as I've kind of reflected on it and what I've achieved and what we're doing and what we're continuing to achieve, because I'm in the middle of my chemotherapy now. So my chemotherapy regimen is I go on a Monday, first thing, to the gym, and then I go to a sort of a midday appointment with Sri Lankan George Clooney. 
And then I go to the chemo chair and I'm there for five hours. I have an infusion into a port that's been embedded into my chest and allows me to take that drug straight into my heart. Then they disconnect me at the end of the day and they reconnect a little bottle. Slam a little doggy bag of chemo, I get to take it home. And I sit the next day on the couch feeling pretty ordinary. And then by Wednesday, I get to disconnect it and I've done three days out of 14 of chemo. And then for the next week and a half, I have to quickly, quickly live life do all the things I want to do, all the business building activities I've got to do, all of the child rearing activities I've got to do, all of the being a wife and being a friend and doing all of that stuff. And then on Monday, I'm back in that chair again. But that's not, I don't tell you that to say, oh, poor Nicole. That's just my stuff. That's just what I have to do. And I'm in a pretty fortunate position that I get to do it, in my opinion. So having gone through all of this, I guess I want to reflect on what's valuable about that, how I can share what I've learnt and what I can, I guess, encourage other people to take from this story, both so you don't end up and finding yourself in this position as well because there are preventative things that we can think about, but also so we find, I don't know, some, some sense of... Some, someone needs to benefit from my story and find some kind of fulfilment in it, and that's really important to me that someone does. So there are a couple of things, my, my five learnings, if you like, from this story. And they're built around resilience, and they're relevant to you guys, I think, in this industry, in Western Australia, in real estate today in 2018, because we're facing a tough market out there. Would we agree? Yeah. It's a, it is tough. And I hear that every week from my students. I, hear, I see that in the uptake of our training because West Coast Property Training offer quite a premium product when it comes to training. We're not cheap, quite intentionally, because we've got some pretty clever minds who've done some pretty cool things and we get some pretty impressive people to be involved in our training. And so we see that in the uptake of our services, obviously, when you sell a premium product, you know, and there's a, a downturn, that's a tough time. And a downturn that coincides with a time where, you know, my mum, who's the CEO of our business, can't necessarily do a lot of focus on the business because she's over here helping a terminal daughter. <laughs> so it's been tough. But there's a, lot, there's a lot to take out of that, I think, for everyone. And the idea about today was for me to say, yeah, I've got this story, and yes, there's a lot of resilience that we can talk about. But I'm far more interested in talking to you guys about what you've been doing coaching you guys through the face, through the change that you're facing. And taking some of the broader ideas that I've, I guess, learnt and translating them into real estate. And that's something that I do in my, in my training, in my role, um, and is something that I want to do this afternoon when we have some time. So right now, I know you guys have all got some paper and pens. I want you to write down what it is about being in real estate that requires resilience from you. So it might be a certain situation that you've encountered. It might be that there's a certain particular client that you're encountering and it's a really tough discussion you've got to have. It might be that it just the, the ongoing, you know, the push around prospecting and having the confidence to actually go out and have those conversations is really tough and inside yourself, you don't feel like you can. And I, I want to collect these, okay? So I want you to just kind of tear off a little page. It's totally anonymous. 
but I want you to think about why do I even need resilience? What is the big thing that I'm facing at the moment? Is it the owners? Is it the tenants? Is it the property management mess? Is it my calendar and I can't get it under control? Is it, is it, is it the fact that I'm working in a team where there's some personalities that drive me crazy? Whatever it is, write it down. And in the spirit of this unconference, we're going to collect that. I'm going to thematically explore that. And then this afternoon, we're going to workshop your stuff. So when you've got, got those written down, pass them along, maybe to the people on the end who can collate. And then I'll run down with this box in a second. So the thing that struck me, being a newly minted cancer patient, is the fact that really you have to just call on all of the things in your life that have helped you just to do what you do in order to do what you do next. And that's true for all of us, in all of our situations, in all of our lives. Now one of the things that I've always spoken about and I've always been quite focused on is the idea of change and our capacity to deal with change. And that's because I worked as a change manager before I came back to work in the real estate industry, before I came back to West Coast Property Training. I worked for a global consulting firm called Ernst & Young, now EY is their new brand. You might have heard from them. They've got a big building down on the river. Global firm. I worked for them for five years. And my job was to go out into teams and say, here's the thing, guys. We used to do things this way. Now we're going to do things this way. And I'm here to make sure that you're all on the bus. That's what change managers do. To convince staff that the new way of doing things is the right way of doing things. Now, in our businesses, in our small businesses in real estate, we can only do that ourselves as leaders. That's our problem. We don't get to employ fancy change managers to do that for us. So that's what I did. So I've dealt with change a lot, and I've coached through change a lot, and I've taught on change a lot. And when I sit and listen to this sort of the discussions that we've had now, I think about the role that that has played in me being able to fight my fight at the moment, but also being able to teach something that's valuable. Now, the other thing that I did that was useful and relevant to this before the change was, yes, to work as a spy. <laughs> Now, I don't talk about this a lot, because if I did, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> but I did work for ASIO for five years. It's where I met my husband. We were both spies, and we left together to you know, become other things, had to reinvent ourselves. And why is this relevant, you might ask? <laughs> so my job was to go out on the street to convince people that they might want to have a chat with me about things that are relevant to national security with a view to saving the world, in summary. So we did that every day. When we look at the process that you guys have to go through in terms of building a business, connecting with people out of the blue, convincing them to have a conversation with you, convincing them to see the world from your perspective, getting them to understand that your position is the right one, that your intelligence on the real estate picture is correct, that you're the best one to list with, that you're the best one to manage their property, and that you should be taking this forward in terms of the relationship 
across real estate is actually exactly the same skill set as going out and meeting someone and saying, I know that this isn't your day job, but I'd really like you to report what's going on back to me in order to serve the greater good of the country. It's actually exactly the same skill set. And the, the ability to coach people through that change that they're experiencing is actually the stuff that you guys need to succeed now. To talk to owners and to talk to vendors about the fact that they're experiencing a downturn, that they're actually going through an emotional upheaval in a lot of instances and you're brought into their situation and you have to go through that together. So they're the same skill set. And the five things around change that I've learnt that I want to share very quickly. I'll just go through and connect these. The first is that you're already there. Now I say this because when I think about being motivated, being aspirational, what you want to achieve, where you're going to go, a lot of us think about the future as a destination. The thing I want to remind you all of is when you think about the future as a destination and then someone tells you actually the destination is now going to arrive in approximately two to three years and I need to make sure that really all of the things I wanted to achieve are done so within that time, you're reminded very quickly of the fact that it's not a destination and that it is a journey and in fact you, your potential and where you're going to be is here already. You are already there. It's not about the game plan over there in three months, in five years. It's about what do I have right now that is unique to me, that is brilliant, and that I can use to achieve whatever it is that I want to achieve in the time that I have. You're already there. Number two, get up. Just get up. In those moments where you just don't know or you're just too tired or there's just too much or it's just, just get up. Just get up. Just do it. Number three, trust your gut. And this is a bit of a spruik for bowel cancer. It's an awareness month next, next month. <laughs> trust your gut. If something is going wrong, get it checked out. But equally, as you're going through your career journey, if you feel like you need to do things your way, do it your way. If you feel like you need a second opinion, if you feel like you need to push yourself in as the second opinion, trust your gut and do it. Number four is train it. I had a dream two nights ago that my cancer had recurred. And in my dream, instead of freaking out, I took out my diary and thought, now how am I going to schedule this? <laughs> just bizarre to me when I woke up. But actually it was an indicator that maybe I was just training my brain and have done so to such a degree that just kind of cancer fighting is just part of my schedule and that's just what I need to do. Train it. Teach yourself to think that way and you will think that way. And finally, find your inspiration in you. The number of times I've been told you're so motivating, you're in my inspiration, I love you, you're amazing, is so humbling for me. It almost brings me to tears to talk about it. The fact that I can play that role in somebody's life is beautiful. But I want people to find their inspiration in themselves. Because actually my journey is just my stuff. To excuse my French, this is just my shit. Right? And you guys have all got your own shit. And you've got to find your own inspiration through all of that to make it work. Because me being the inspiration is nice for me and it's certainly motivating for me. But in those darkest, darkest moments, 
where you've got to push and you've got to fight, whether it is to get across the line, whether it's to deal with your diary, whether it's to manage your inbox, whatever it is, that actually just boils down to you on that day. So that's me. I'm going to review these. We're going to do a little bit more collaborating this afternoon. Thank you for listening. That's all. Thanks for tuning into The Crunch. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. So if you'd like to share them, please email me at jess at cribcreative.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe if you enjoyed the show and share it with anyone else you think might like it.